First Peter, I mean Second Peter, sorry, chapter one, verses three through eight is our passage of scripture today. And um, just want to mention that we just came through a short series over Christmas that was focused on passages from Isaiah about the coming of the Christ. And we're going to begin the new year with a short series as well about growing in godliness and the means that God has given us to grow in godliness. Um, and so that's going to be our focus to kind of launch us into 2013. And then we'll get back to our verse-by-verse journey through the life of Jesus Christ in our series that we're, we've been calling Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. But for right now, Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Why don't you go ahead and stand, if you would, as we read God's Word. This is God's holy and authoritative Word. It carries heavy authority for us. The Apostle Peter spoke these words, but more importantly, he was carried along by the Spirit of God. Therefore, these are the words of Christ through the Apostle Peter. We need to understand that type of authority is coming through these words as we stand to read it. Verse 3 of chapter 1 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask now that you would bless this reading of the word and pray now that you would speak through your word, that you would enable us all to have ears to hear, that we would be expository listeners, and that you'd grant me the grace to speak and to preach your word as it is written and not to wander off into fanciful ideas that are those of men, but instead stick to the word and let it speak to us. I ask for the grace to do that, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How many kids in here, at your home, in your house somewhere, you have a growth chart that your parents have marked as you've been growing, or maybe just a wall, uh, maybe in a closet or in in a room where with pencil or something that your parents have marked your growth? How many of you kids in here have something like that in your home? Okay, a few of you. Okay, and... As you look at that growth chart, you see, you can look back at the previous years and you see, you know, 2009, I was this tall. And then in 2010, I had grown an inch and I was this tall and, or, or whatever. And sometimes that growth is, is slow and sometimes it, boom, it explodes over the course of a year. And it, it varies in different people. But regardless, you look back and you see a progression of growth. How many of you kids in here have looked at that chart Has there ever been a year where you've looked at the new mark that's been made of your height and you've actually shrunk and gone backwards? Any of you kids in here? Now, some of you may feel like that because you're not growing as fast as you want to, but have you really shrunk and gone backwards? I would say, say no. 
None of you in here have, have done that. You've, you've been growing, even if the progression isn't quite as fast as you want it to be. Matter of fact, if you see regression, if you see you going down on the scale, then your parents are probably going to be a bit worried and troubled. Matter of fact, your doctor would be worried as well. I mean, when, when you take a baby in after they're born and you weigh them and you measure them and do all that kind of stuff and then, then go back later, a year later, and they, they do a checkup on the child, if, if there hasn't been growth, weight gain, height gain, and, and the measurements haven't, haven't expanded over the, over the baby, then the doctor's going to be seriously concerned because healthy children grow. Well, I want us to see this morning that healthy Christians grow. It's the same thing. We are, if we're in Christ, then we are children of God. And the whole time that we are living on this earth, as, as Peter puts it, uh, in, in exile, the whole time that we're living on this earth in exile, we should be growing. We should be progressing. We should look at our spiritual growth chart and look back and say, okay, 2012 is here. 2011, I was down here. I see some progression. I see some growth in my life. It should happen. Healthy children grow. My, my thesis really for this, this series we're going to do, which is called Grow, obviously. My thesis for this whole series is simply this. If we are truly in Christ then we will grow into Christ-likeness. Or, put it this way, if we are truly united to Christ by faith, then we will grow in Christ-likeness. So I don't know how long this series is going to be. Originally, my plan was three weeks. Last night at about midnight, it turned into five weeks. So I want to talk today about how growth is not optional. Growth in the Christian life is not optional. It's not something, oh, I guess I'll grow. A child doesn't say, you know what, this year I, I think I'll grow, but next year I'm just going to stop growing. He, he can't control that. If, he, if he's healthy, he will grow into maturity. Same thing for a Christian. It's not something optional. I guess, this year I'm really just going to grow. If you are a Christian, you will be growing. Period. So growth is not optional. And I want to talk next week about how holiness is not optional. Obedience is not optional. We're going to talk about how scripture and prayer are not optional for the Christian. Now spiritual growth, okay, I'm going to be using some words interchangeably. Spiritual growth is sanctification. That means being made holy, growing in holiness. We are called, as we read this morning, to be holy as God is holy. Which means we are becoming more like Christ. And it's not optional. So that's why over the course of the next few weeks, I'm also going to put some challenges before us and before myself. And I really want to provide the church with resources as to how we can grow in 2013. For example, one of the things I've been wanting to do for a while, and this year finally getting on board and doing it, is giving our whole church a, a, a list of memory verses. 52 memory verses over the next year. One for each week. And this is what we're going to put. I'm going to get the post going again. We're going to put this in the post. This is what the children are going to be memorizing. This is what we're going to be memorizing. 
and even incorporate it into our worship services where we, as we gather together, someone says the memory verse for the week so that together we are, we are letting the word of Christ dwell richly here in this body and we're growing together and we're challenging and holding each other accountable to memorize scripture. And all of these scriptures, these 52 scriptures, one a week, all of them are tied into really the desire that I have to see our church be more outward focused this year and be more evangelistic. In all of these verses, if you have these 52 verses down by the end of the year, you don't need a system of evangelism. You have the Word of God so present in you that you have these, these words to say, these, these gospel words to speak to people. So that's one of the things. I also want to challenge us to read the Bible more this year. We have some, some Bible reading plans in the back. Now, I'm not going to just pick one and say all of Harbin's has to do this Bible reading plan because I know there's different people that are wired differently in here. There's some really challenging ones back there. They're all on that back table. There's one that requires you to read 10 chapters a day. There's others that are a little bit slower progress. Remember, our, our ladies in their Bible study right now are reading through James at a very slow, deliberately slow pace as they meditate upon the words of James. So I've given, I've given you like 10 different Bible reading plans back there. There's two-year Bible reading plans. There's one-year Bible reading plans. There's some that are, that are organized in a way to help bring out the redemptive themes of Scripture. And so I want you to look at those. And I've got copies of them back there, but not copies for everybody. What I'm going to do is I'll be sending you out a link this week with all those different ones linked on there. But I want to provide you with the resources and challenge you to be in the Word, to be memorizing the Word, challenge myself as well. And I want to provide more resources like the discipleship groups that we've begun. We need to be taking advantage of those because we need to be holding each other accountable to these things. Memory verse challenges. I want to provide you with books, resources, and different things as we progress through this year that will help grow us into Christ-likeness. If we are truly united to Christ, we will grow in Christ-likeness. Growth is not optional. If you're not growing, you may not be alive spiritually. If someone walks into my house and sees a a plant, and this is a possibility in my house, a plant that's just dead, and they walk in, they say, your plant's dead. I say, no, it's not. It's been like that for a year, but but it's fine. You think I'm crazy. You say, no, you can't keep saying that's alive. It's dead. My friend, you cannot say I'm a Christian. If you're a Christian, you've been born again. You've been made alive in Christ. You cannot say I'm a Christian and sit around for years and not grow. It doesn't work that way. It's not optional. One of the most dangerous teachings that crept into the church over the course of the past 50 years is this thought that somehow people can confess Jesus as their Savior, but not their Lord. That is so silly and anti-biblical. If Christ is your Savior, you've been born to new life. You've been born to holiness. He is your Lord. If he's not your Lord, you've never been saved. So people walk around and call themselves carnal Christians. Well, I got saved when I was six. And one of these days I'll get serious about making Jesus my Lord. No, friend, you are dead in your sins if you live that way. It does not match up with Scripture. 
Find me the verse of Scripture that says you can go and live in like the world. Find me the verse of Scripture that says you can live like the world and still be a Christian. You will not find it. Now, you'll find lots of Christians struggling in their faith, but there's still evidence of growth. One of the churches that struggled more than any other church was the church in Corinth. But in a minute here, I want to read to you some things that Paul said to the church in Corinth. Because some of the most strong, some of the strongest verses on sanctification come from Paul's letter to this miserable church in the city of Corinth. But for right now, I want us to see that growth is not optional. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are to be growing individually and corporately. That's why, this is not legalism. This is a desire for us to grow corporately. If we're not growing corporately and individually, something's wrong. Colossians 1.9 And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing, increasing, that means growing, in the knowledge of God. Hebrews 6, 1. You want, a, you want a book in the Bible that'll challenge you on your spiritual growth? Read Hebrews. It'll knock you on your back. Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. There is a maturity that should be happening in the body of Christ, 1 Peter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 2 Peter chapter 3, a later part of this book we're reading this morning. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Spiritual growth is not an option for those who possess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It is not an option for those who profess to be Christian. If you are truly a Christian here this morning, then you have not only been saved from something, your sin and God's wrath, you've also been saved to something, holiness. That's the reason he saved you. Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. The purpose of his predestining work of Choosing us unto salvation was so that we would be holy and blameless. Not to go on living however you want to live like the rest of the world, but to be holy and blameless. You were saved for holiness. And thus, if you are truly saved, you will be increasing in holiness. What is holiness? 
Well, it's growing in godliness. And godliness is not rule-keeping, morality, or behavior change. It's about love for Christ, which produces obedience. John chapter 14, verse 15. Highlight that verse if you don't have it highlighted. John chapter 14, verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Very simple verse to memorize. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We've talked some in my Bible study class about how in this day and age people like to say, well, you know what, I'm all about love. Let's just love one another and doctrine, doctrine's not important. My friends, doctrines means teachings, which means commandments. Jesus says you can't just be all about love and not be about his commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Therefore, doctrine and teaching and the word will be important. It won't just be something we push off to the side and say, well, let's just gather together and sing Kumbaya. We want the commandments of God, of Christ, to be so present in our lives that it drives us to Christ's likeness. This is not prudish legalism, but passionate love. There is a huge difference. Lord willing, we'll talk more about holiness and godliness next week. And we'll talk about God's means for providing, God's means that he has provided for us to grow in holiness and godliness. But I want to talk a little bit more about why we are to grow. Why are we to grow in godliness and holiness? Well, it goes all the way back to Genesis. All the way back to the beginning. God created man for what purpose? Anybody? Was he lonely? As some would say, no, within the triune Godhead, he had perfect fellowship. He didn't need men. He created men for his glory. To magnify his own glory. So therefore, man was created what? In the image of God. We were created to be glory reflectors. Imagers of the one true God. And so when God tells Adam and Eve... Be fruitful and multiply. He's saying, fill the earth with little mirrors of me. So that all of creation can can shine forth my glory. It's beautiful when we think about it. But we know the story. We know that sin entered the picture and distorted the image of God in man. Now, this is important. Sin did not destroy the image of God in man. Sin distorted the image of God in man corrupted it so that now everything we do is tinged and tainted by sin. Yet God's plan didn't change. His plan from the beginning of time was to fill the earth with his glory, and it remains his plan. His plan is still to spread his glory across the face of the earth. And when the fullness of time had come, scriptures say he sent his son Jesus, born of a woman, Jesus born as a man, the new Adam, to do what the first Adam couldn't do. To image God perfectly. And he's also God. He is the image of the invisible God is what Paul tells us. Image. There's that image language again. Image of the invisible God. And then the author of Hebrews says he's the exact imprint of God's nature. Therefore this God man, Jesus, he lived perfectly and perfectly imaged forth God. He did what the first Adam couldn't do. 
And in doing so, he redeemed for God a people, a church, a church of image bearers who through union with Christ are made into new creatures, are born again, and through his power at work in us are being transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. We're redeemed. We're made into what we were really really supposed to be. Imagers of God as we're being transformed into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. I can't think of a verse that just stirs up joy in my heart more than that one right there. This means a couple of things. Number one, true Christians will be made holy. God will make it happen. Number two, if we are not becoming more like Christ, we probably aren't saved. So I ask the question again. Look at the growth chart. Look at 2012 as compared to 11 and 10. And holiness is not an optional add-on. I think I'll be holy in 2013. Holiness is not optional. It is huge. Holiness is the outcome of true faith because it's how we ultimately glorify God. Holiness in us is God's image being restored. Be holy as I am holy is what God said. And how do we do that? As we become more like Christ who imaged God perfectly. Therefore, if we are Christians, we are becoming like Christ. We should be on a progress, progression of becoming more holy. Now let me say a couple of things about our growth in holiness. and Our sanctification, if you will. I just want to give you a couple of terms here to grab onto as you read through the scriptures and think about sanctification and how Paul uses the word. First of all, there's positional sanctification, or as some refer to it, definitive sanctification. Meaning, it's already a reality for those who are in Christ. We, we are, before God's eyes, already justified, meaning that we've been declared not guilty, but we are also already, before God's eyes, declared holy. That's why... Romans 8.29 is in the past tense. So Paul can say to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, past tense, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul refers to the church as already sanctified. He does it again in 1 Corinthians 6.11. He says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So there is in one sense that we are already declared righteous, just, and holy before God in Christ because we're united to Christ. He's already accomplished it all for us. But there's also a progressive sanctification, a not yet. The whole Christian life is an already not yet. The kingdom of God is already here But not yet. It's coming in a fuller sense. And so to our sanctification, we're already sanctified in God's eyes, but not yet in the sense that we are becoming who we already are. As long as we live this life, we're in a progress 
of becoming who we already are in Christ Jesus, if we truly are in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.12, so Paul says this, Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So we are positionally sanctified, but we also see in our life a progressive sanctification happening. So our positional status before God is a gift. Our progressive growth is the fruit flowing from that gift. So with that, let us zero in on the passage that we read earlier this morning, earlier today. And over the next few weeks, I want us to consider growth and godliness. What does it look like? What does grace-fueled gospel growth look like in the life of a Christian? What sort of disciplines do we need to have to grow in godliness? But today I'm going to go ahead and give us all our points at once. There's, there's four P's. Growth in godliness is due to the power of God working through the person of God's Son by means of the promises of God's Word for the purpose of the purification of God's people. And that's what I see in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. So let's look at it. First thing is that growth in godliness is due to the power of of God. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me say this as clearly as I can. Growth in godliness is God's power at work in us. His divine power has granted us all things. Everything you need that pertain to life and godliness. His power. God gets all the credit. Yet, yet, even in this passage we read today, Yet we are called to work and to toil and to strive. We are called to to put sin to death. We are called to run a race. So in one sense we are called to synergistically come alongside and work with our God in our sanctification. But we must be careful for we can only work, strive, and toil because He is at work in us in power. He is powerfully at work in us. What happens is that the true believer desires to work, strive, and toil toward godliness only because God did a powerful, miraculous work of changing a totally depraved heart of stone into an obedient heart of flesh. It's the only reason that we even desire to strive after the things of God. Matter of fact, if we've been given a new heart, Those desires will be inevitable. His monergistic work of grace is the foundation and the fountain of our effort. Let me say that again. His monergistic, meaning him alone, his monergistic work of grace is the foundation and the fountain of our effort. And more, the presence of his spirit through which new birth was given to us is the guarantee that we will work, strive, and toil And the guarantee that our working, striving, and toiling will be fruitful. Thus, God gets all the credit. But there's a tension there. So we can read passages like this. Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he's talking about obeying you, brothers, obey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But then the next verse says this, 
for. So here's the foundation. The foundation and the fruit in that one word, for. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's the one at work in you. So we read 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, speaking about the other apostles, he said, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And then we read in Colossians 1.29 that we read earlier in the service, for this, this is Paul speaking, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. God's power at work in us, enabling and stirring us up to hard work, to work toward growth, growth in holiness. And that's why it's not an add-on or an option. It's the evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in you. If there's no fruit, if there's no holiness, there's no evidence that there's any power of God at work in your life. What evidence is there? Are you going to stand before a holy God and say, I prayed a prayer at VBS when I was seven? And bank your hopes on that? Or is your life going to have evidence as you stand before a holy God that he was at work in you, transforming you, conforming you to the image of his son? One of those answers is biblical, one of them's not. If you are united to Christ by faith, then you have been given a new heart that desires to obey. And then you will work, you will toil, you will strive, and thus you will grow. You will grow. So growth and godliness is due to the power of God working through the person of God's Son. What do I mean by that? Look at Verse 3 again, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. This is referring to the knowledge of Christ. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. What is this knowledge? It's both our saving knowledge of Christ, coming to Christ in faith and thus knowing him, But it's also our relational, our ongoing knowledge of Christ, continuing in Christ by faith and thus knowing more of him. The more we know of Christ, the more we experience God's power at work and the more we grow. Why? Because Christ is the perfect image of God the Father. And the more you see God and his holiness, the more it changes you and makes you holy. That's what happened to Isaiah in the passage we read just a few weeks ago. Here I am, send me, came after he saw the glory of God. Not before. 2 Peter 3, 17 says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace, we read this verse earlier, and what? knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is through our knowledge of Christ that God transforms our life and our heart. Our desire for obedience grows as we see him more. 1 John 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him. 
So what's John saying? How do you know that you know Christ? BBS 2007 won't be the right answer. How do you know that you know Christ? And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. If you think I'm being too bold with my language this morning about challenging the faith of those who don't show any progression of holiness, don't take issue with me. Take issue with the word of a holy God spoken through his apostles. How do you know you're saved? You know you're saved if you keep his commandments. If you're growing in your desire to keep those commandments. Otherwise, it's all a sham. You're a liar. Just a liar. Our churches are filled with liars. The pews of the churches of America are filled with people who have lied to their own soul. Self-deceived. Well, I did this, this, and this, therefore I'm a Christian. Who cares what I watch? Who cares how I spend my money? Who cares about my life and whether or not it's being made into the image of Christ? I'm a Christian. No, you're a liar. The churches of America are filled with them. Growth in godliness flows directly out of our knowledge of him. It's how God's power is at work. Philippians 3, 17. This is Paul. Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of, you know it, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain resurrection from the dead. How many Christians live like that? Few in this country live like that. I don't live like that. Oh, to know Christ more and more and more and become like Him. That's what glorifies God who called us to His own glory and excellence. What glorifies God is when we're holy as he is holy. It is not optional. That's how the power of God works through the person of the Son of God. That's why I want us reading this book. This isn't about picking up... If you pick up a a, a sheet back there for Bible reading plans, okay, well... Pastor Steve wants me to do it, and I guess I just should, and I guess it's what it means to be a good Christian. Then put it back down. I want you reading through the Word of God so that you can know Christ more fully. This is his love letter to you. Get in it. Read it. Eat it up. 
One of the plans back there, I think it's called the Bible eating plan. Intake this word and you'll know Christ more fully. Why? Because in these last days, we've been told that he has spoken to us through his son. This is how you know Christ. He has spoken to us through his son, according to Hebrews. The more you dig into God's word, the more you'll know Christ. And the more you know Christ, the more you'll see and savor Christ and the promises of God in his word that are fulfilled in Christ. That's where I'm going next. Growth in godliness is due to the power of God working through the person of God's Son by means of the promises of God's Word. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Verse 4, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. This is so important. The promises of God found in the Word of God are ours through and only through Christ. And by them, we're sanctified. All the promises that God has given us, all His promises have been revealed in His Word. In His Word. All His glorious promises are ours in Christ alone. And we can grab onto them by faith in Christ 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That's why it is through Him that we utter our amen to, the glory, to, to God for His glory. Jesus is the heir to all the promises. You see, the promises of God are glorious, but they're, they're conditional. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and thus fallen short of obtaining the promises. But one came... Yes, the one that we celebrated this past Tuesday. He came, the promised one, to keep the law of God perfectly. Thus he and only he is the one who deserves to receive all the promises of God. And it's only when we are united to him that we can receive God's promises as being for us. And so we live now in this life by faith in Christ that he has obtained these promises for us. This is so important. And I'm going to try to explain it The best I can. We are saved by faith and we live and are sanctified by faith. We are saved by faith in what Christ accomplished on the cross and we are sanctified by faith grabbing onto the promises of God that have been secured for us in Christ. No one has written better on this than John Piper in his book Future Grace. So I highly recommend it. There is sanctifying power in trusting in hoping in, putting our faith in Christ and thus believing in what he has secured for us and that those promises are better than what the world is offering. Spiritual warfare, after all, is about competing promises. I mean, if you want to boil spiritual warfare down, it's about that, competing promises. We have on the one hand the promises of God and then Satan slithers in and gives us new promises. He says they're better promises. You will not die. You will be like God. Wow. What a wonderful promise. The only problem is, it wasn't God's promise. It was Satan's promise. And Satan comes in and whispers into our ear all the time, trying to get us to go after 
what he promises, what the world promises, instead of what God promises. And faith in Christ means that we believe that all these promises that God has made in his word are ours in Christ. And we take hold of them. Let me, let me try to work this out very practically. Okay? We just came through probably the most materialistic time of the year. Right? Christmas. And so Satan whispers in our ear all throughout the Christmas season that you need this. And you'll be happier if you just have that. Or it's not irresponsible to drop your money on this or that. Even though you really, God wants you to use your money in some other sort of way. And then after Christmas we see our neighbor who has that or this. And we want this or that. It's better than the that we got. This or that, that or this, and all the while Satan is making false promises of false happiness. You'll be happier if you just have that. And not just that. That 2.0. Oh, and next month, that 2.1 will come out. And you'll have to have that too. False promises. So, so what do we do? We get in the word of God. We have faith in Christ. We get in the word of God. We want to know what he says. And we read this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we read of treasure in heaven and we say, God, can it be true that you've made this promise that that I don't need the things of this earth, but you've got treasure set aside for me in heaven. And so we believe those promises. We have faith that Christ has secured that treasure. You don't deserve treasure. I don't deserve treasure. Christ earned the treasure on behalf of those who have faith in him. And so we believe that. We put our faith in Christ. We grab hold of the promise and we say, Satan, I don't want your things that rust and moth destroy. Instead, I'm aiming after better treasure. And we hold on to that promise and we cut off the root of sin. We kill sin. And it requires effort. But God's the one stirring it up in us through his spirit. So Satan continues to whisper. But we read on. No one can serve two masters. For either one will hate the one and love the other. Because Satan's saying, you know what? You can still be a materialistic Christian. Materialism isn't that bad. You just want to be like your culture, right? You want to be able to to talk to your neighbors about Jesus. Therefore, you need to have the latest So he continues to whisper false promises in our ear and we read, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And we got to ask ourselves, do we believe that? Because Jesus uses strong language. Can we say that we serve God? Because Jesus says we have to hate money. Despise it. We either love it or we hate it when it comes to Christ. There's no middle ground to be a lover of money and lover of Christ. You cannot serve two masters. It's that simple. And so Satan whispers other promises in our ear. And we got to say, do I believe what Satan's promising or do I believe the word of God? And so we grab hold of the promises that are ours in Christ. Do we believe it? 
Do we believe that God says friendship with the world is enmity with God? Friendship with the world is enmity. You're at war with God when you love the world. Wait a second. We were at war with God before we were saved. Once we were saved, we were brought out of enmity, so therefore, we shouldn't love the world if we're truly Christians. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, according to James. James is the tough little book. That's another one. Hebrews and James, they're back-to-back in the Bible for a reason, because I think by the time you get there, you get knocked on your keister. You get a Holy Spirit pounding. And that's just one little promise from the Word of God, from the Word of Christ. How much more does He have to say for us? You may be sitting here this morning and say, well, I don't have any money. Therefore, I certainly don't store it up and I don't love it. But you know what? You got other struggles because you're worrying all the time. That lack of money, the love of money is exhibited in other ways. And so Jesus comes to you with other words, like, as he continues in this very passage, do not be anxious. Stop the worry. Do not be anxious about your life and what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And on and on and on and on and on in this book, this book, these promises of God are totally sufficient for everything that comes your way. In 2013 and beyond. Do we believe in the sufficiency of the word of God? That's what this is about. This word is sufficient. There's some of you in here that have memorized plenty of more data than what's on this sheet of paper here. Maybe for your work. Sports stats. Who knows? Is God's word so important to you? Is it so sufficient in your life that you want to store it up? You have a desire to store it up in your heart. Competing promises. Whose are you going to believe? Your progress in godliness will be based largely on how much you believe in all the promises of God and how they find their yes and their amen in Christ and that they are for you if you are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you have no desire for the promises of God anyway. And the things of the world are much more appealing and satisfying to you. The things of the world are much more satisfying to you than the things of God. That's a bad sign. It's a bad sign. That's a sign that there's no health. There may not be life. When we cling to the promises of God found in the word of God, we let go of the sinful promises of Satan and we grow in godliness. And let me kind of wrap this all up here. Growth in godliness is due to the power of God working through the person of God's son by means of the promises of God's word for the purpose of the purification of God. Of God's people. Verse 4 again. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that. Here's the purpose. Through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. There it is again. Being made into the image of Christ. A partaker of the divine nature. Being holy as he is holy. That's what that means. 
having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. We want to become partakers in the divine nature. We want to escape from the corruption of this world. Our sinful desires want to go after the promises of Satan. But faith in Christ, believing in the promises of God, deliver us from that. And lead us into becoming more like Christ. That's how we defeat sin. That's how we kill sin. By faith in Christ and what he's accomplished and the promises of God that are ours through Christ. We'll talk more about this in the next couple of weeks. We'll talk more about purification, holiness, and escaping the corruption of the world. We've touched on it some today, but I want to dig a good bit deeper next week and maybe the week after that. For now, let us see the sanctifying work of God through His Son, by faith in His Son, will invariably be accompanied by hard work on our part. The verses go on, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So work in 2013. Strive, toil, because God is at work in you. Grow. If you're genuinely born anew, you will grow. If you are spiritually alive, you will grow. And we can be sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now that's a promise to cling to right there. True Christians will also persevere. I could have added a, this morning I woke up and thought, I've got a fifth P. Because we see perseverance in this verse as well. Because God is at work. We think of perseverance of the saints in Baptist churches as once saved, always saved. I hate that phrase. Because it's so misleading. It's foolish. The Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible does say is that those who are truly his will persevere to the end. Those who do not persevere, those who fall away, simply prove that they were never born again in the first place. Conversely, those who are genuinely born again will absolutely persevere to the end. So if you continue to read in 1 Peter, you'll see discussions of perseverance. For now, I want to close with 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 4 and following. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched. There's growth again. You were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. The testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8. First Corinthians 1, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious word from our Savior. What a glorious promise to cling to this morning. So my challenge is for you to look at your spiritual growth chart. If a child isn't growing, the doctor will prescribe some things. We've got problems here. You need to feed them. You need to do this. You need to do that. 
God has put a burden on the shoulders of every pastor in America to feed the flock. That's what this is about. I'm not trying to force morality upon you. I want to feed you and feed myself in the process. So at the end of 2013, I can look back on that wall and go, God has done some great things this year. His power at work in me. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are. You are holy, holy, holy. And we are so fallen short of that glory. But in Christ, but in Christ, we belong to you and we are being transformed, being conformed into the image of your Son, Father. And we praise you for that. Not a single person in this room can take any credit for their spiritual growth. There's no room for pride here. Lord, if there's any pride here, root that out and show us, show all of us that that's an area we need to grow. Because you oppose the proud. We don't want to be enemies of you. So God, we pray that you'd root out pride in here, but that we'd also be striving and working and, and memorizing Scripture and doing things in our homes to stir up holiness. I would love, Father, for there to be a crop of men raised up in Harbins over the course of the next year who are standing as strong as solid oak trees with their roots founded so solid in your word that we got elders just coming out of the walls here. We got people, men, discipling other men and it's their desire to do it and they love to do it. And we got men desiring to be discipled. Oh Lord, I pray that in 2013 we would see a movement in Harbin's where our concern for your glory supersedes our concern for a raise, a better house, a fixed car, or the latest 2.0 of whatever gadgets in our home. And Lord, we confess our sin to you. We are all so infected by the culture we live in. And I ask your forgiveness. I have not lived the way I should have lived in 2012. And I beg you for your mercy and your forgiveness. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir me up to lead my home in holiness. That whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, that these would be the things that are, that are being filtered into our home and not the filth that this world has to offer. Competing promises. Oh God, may we believe your promises and reject the promises that the snake is trying to whisper in each one of our ears, even this very morning. We ask all of this, and we believe all of this, and we, our only hope to see any of this accomplished is in the precious name of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.